like that. You Hello and all, welcome that. to like this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Oh, it has been a weekend. It has been a weekend and a half. Oh my goodness, I am tired. I am very, very tired. I So last night, Saturday night, on uh, August 27th, I went over to my friend Zach's apartment and we played Risk. Game of Thrones Risk. And uh, for those of you who are unaware, Game of Thrones, very popular TV show on HBO. If you haven't watched House of Dragon, I would recommend it. Though, that being said, I'm not a massive fan of some of the blonde wigs that they have. Because the Targaryens, of course, have the, the bleach blonde flowing locks. Every Targaryen, apart from one, who are not going to give any spoilers, so you haven't seen Game of Thrones, we're not going to tell you who it is, but apart from one... Has bleach, 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 basically gray or white hair. But sometimes it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, Michael Morbius, if you've seen the movie Morbius, I don't remember what the actor's name is. I believe he plays Doctor Who as well. But more famously from the movie Morbius, <laughs> Morbius he does not look good with the wig on. They're, most of them in that show do not look natural with the blonde hair. And I, I hate... To a certain extent, when movies or shows do this, where you'll see it in, like, like Talladega Nights is a prime example of this. And I love Talladega Nights. This is not an indictment on Talladega Nights whatsoever. But when you look at Ricky Bobby when he's driving and Cal Naughton when they're driving, their helmets, the face shield is so massive. It's because they need you need to see the actor's face. You want to see the main character's face. But, like, when Jamie McMurray drives by in Talladega Nights, he's got the normal NASCAR helmet on. But when you're the main characters, you have to see, they want you to see the main character's face. Their helmets are always different. So in Game of Thrones House of Dragons, the dude has a mask on, they're jousting, and he has a helmet on with no face shield. Like I understand why they're doing it, but for the the logistics of jousting, if you are bold enough, and the only person I've ever seen this work out for is Will Thatcher in A Knight's Tale. This is the only time I've ever... He didn't even wear a helmet in his last battle. But he had motivation on his side. He had he had uh, his dad in the crowd who was blind, and oh, it's, he's, he's a knight now. He's Sir William Thatcher now. So he had all of that going for him, but in this one, I don't even remember the character's name is, but uh, just went in on pure vibes, I guess. Challenged a dude with... He didn't even... It just bothered me. Because if you don't have a face shield which I feel is very important in a game where you're running, when you're sprinting towards someone on a, well, I guess the horse is sprinting towards you and you got a big pointy stick. And if they hit you in the face, that's a point. If I'm the other guy, why would you not, why am I not just hitting him in the face every single, he's basically asking me to knock his teeth out, to knock his, not even knock his teeth out, to put my spear basically through his head. <laughs> he is begging this to happen. But it doesn't happen because, again, he's the main character. He's not going to die just randomly jousting. He did almost, he did get murked in a sword fight because he lost in jousting. And he threw his spear into the ground, tripped the horse up, and then it just went downhill from there. But I hate when shows do that. Shows and movies do that. Like, they'll take, uh, they'll take the, uh, the seat, uh, what do you call those things? The headrests off seats in the cars in movies. Like, the only time I've ever seen a movie actually <laughs> acknowledge headrests is... The Batman, the Robert Pattinson <laughs> Batman movie where the headrest is sitting on the seat next to him with the DEA guy when he gets the bomb wrapped around his neck the night before, which just feels like it's a very long time in advance for the Riddler to do that. That just feels like it's too overkill. Like you, he's just chilling with that all night. You could have just done that the morning of and then just sent him into the courthouse 
when they're having the funeral for the for the the mayor. You could have just done it then. But I guess it strikes more fear into the heart of the DAA DAA guy when he has to wear the the bomb thing the entire time. But there's just little movie things and little TV show things that just bother me like that. And that one thing in Game of Thrones, along with the the wigs looking very off on some of them, if you just look past that, <laughs> it is it is a good show. I did enjoy watching it. But Game of Thrones Risk is a little different than normal Risk, obviously because it's Game of Thrones, but Risk in general is a long time commitment. A very, 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 very long time commitment. Like I remember playing this game back in high school. You'd start a game, and this is normal for Risk, because when you say we're playing slow, this is just normal for Risk. When you're playing the game right, like last night I would say I am open to admitting I was not playing the game right at all. Because I was going in with the mindset I'm going to destroy Zach's territories, my friend Zach, the entire time. I'm not going to win. I'm playing merely for vibes. And I'm basically pulling a General Hux, like in Star Wars. And I brought this up last night after I defeated Zach. Or I, I guess I I held off my attack from Zach because he got... We we started, we fi- we fixated our attention towards Justin towards the end of the night. But if I, if I went with my original plan... It was basically along the lines of, I don't care who wins, I just want to see Zach lose. That was basically my mindset the entire time. Like, I had no plans of winning, I had no plans of playing the game normally. I had a goal in mind of just making sure Zach Tracy did not win. And he did not win, and Justin Haggins ended up winning the game, which was pretty unsurprising. It was, And it didn't last very long. I think we played for about four hours. At least that's what it felt like. It might have been just been two hours. But either way, it was a long time. Long time. But there, I've played games that lasted like six plus hours. And I remember one time in high school, we were at a friend's house, and everybody's just like, okay, I do. You reach a certain threshold where you're like, okay, I'm done. I've mentally checked out. I don't want to play anymore. I want to go home. I want to go to bed. I want to do all these different things that do not rely on the game of risk. I've, uh, you pass that mental threshold, but when you're not playing for the, the actual reasons of playing the game and actually not playing the game right, then I feel like the game's more fun <laughs> and it takes a whole lot less time because you're playing merely for vibes. And that's kind of how, like, Settlers of Catan. That is a game I play all the time with some of my friends. I love Settlers of Catan. I, haven't pl- I don't play Risk all that often, but Settlers of Catan is one of the games that we used to always play growing up. And we still play it now. But that game can take a very long time. The first ever one-nighter, all-nighter I've ever did, my the first time I ever pulled an all-nighter was playing Settlers of Catan. Because you play one game, you're like, oh, that actually didn't take that long. Let's play another one, which is one of the worst phrases you can possibly say. Oh, that game didn't take very long. That took less than 18 hours. Let's go again. And it all, without fail, without fail, the second game is four to five times longer than the first game he played. Regardless of how you're playing the game, it just goes by so much slower. I mean, you're playing these types of games because no one really plays these games during the middle of the day. All these games, for whatever reason, every time I played these games, always take place past seven or eight o'clock, which makes the next day extremely tough because you're playing all freaking night. Like, I woke up around... Jeez, around 11.30 today, because I was so exhausted <laughs> just being up all night. I got back to my apartment around 4 in the morning, 
Four in the morning is when I got back to my apartment last night. Or I guess this morning. This morning. Long day. Long, long day. But before we get into what we're going to talk about here on the Logan Blackman Show today on this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show, make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, you're listening to right now, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The Twitter account is Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, just search Logan Blackman Show. They should pop up. Make sure you're subscribed and following both. Like a few posts, watch a few videos, give them a thumbs up. We're going to have some videos coming out for you soon. We haven't made a video in a very long time. The last video we made was the last se- this past season's NFL preview. And we are coming up to the start of the 2022-2023 season. And we have not made a preview yet. But don't worry, it will come out. We've got about a week and a half. The first game of the season between the Bills and Rams is on September 8th. It is August 28th right now, August 29th when you're listening, so we got a week and a half until the game starts. But again, you're listening to it right now, make sure you're following and or subscribe to the Apple Podcast and Spotify accounts, and leave a rating on five stars on both, and leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do about the show. It could be about one episode, it could be about the whole show in general. Just however you're feeling about that episode or whatever, let me know down below, and again, leave a rating on five stars. It could be a one-star rating, it could be a five-star rating. I don't care, as long as you really leave a rating, I would greatly appreciate it. And I didn't know when I was going to talk about this, but I knew I had to talk about it at some point. I didn't know if I wanted to put it at the beginning or the end of it, because this happened, or this this story broke about 15 to 20 minutes after I got done recording my show last week on Thursday. So again, for those of you unaware, we've talked about this before, but for, the, for those of you who are unaware, we record shows day in advance. So for Monday, for today's show, for Monday, I'm recording on Sunday. For Wednesday's show, I record on Tuesday. For Friday's show, I record on Thursday. So Thursday night, this is about, what time did we get done recording? About 5, I don't want to give an exact time because I don't really remember. It was like 5.30, I would imagine. It was about a two-hour show. I think we got done around 5.30, 5, 5.30, somewhere around there. About 10, 15 minutes after that. Because when you're, when you're doing a show and then you post it, because the posting itself takes a little bit, because you got to come up with the description and everything, which I hate. It's the tedious part of the show that I absolutely hate. You're not checking social media. When I've checked social media, like right after I got done with everything, all these details just started circulating around the Buffalo Bills. And we just brought them up a little bit ago, going over the game on September, September 8th against the Rams. All these details surrounding them and a guy that was known as the punt god in Matariza who was, uh, I believe, a sixth-round draft pick by the Buffalo Bills. His first punt of the preseason for the Bills looked like he short-legged it or shorted it, blasted it 82 yards. And for the Bills, who last season with Matt Hawk, who's a Des Moines kid, so I always have respect for Matt Hawk, even though he went to Dowling, had he was one of the worst punters in the league last year, if not the worst punter in the league. Against the Jets, I think Matt Hawk had two 20-yard punts. And if you're not playing the Jets, if you're playing pretty much any other team in the NFL, they make you pay for that. And the Bills had nine, eight or nine sacks in that game, which was ridiculous for the Bills' d- d- defensive line, which cannot, it was, is a decent line in regards to getting after the quarterback, in regards to applying pressure, but not necessarily actually bringing the quarterback to the ground. They had eight or nine sacks in that game. Like, the game was not a great game to watch. And Matt Hawk was extremely frustrating. So when they drafted a punter known by the name Punt God, 
who you saw at San Diego State was blasting all these punts, completely changing the landscape of a football game. You're like, oh, I'm so, I'm actually really excited for this. And for a team that has presumably, according to everybody else, the number one offense in the entire NFL, having a punter doesn't really matter. But once you have a punter that's not performing very well, having one that can change the field position like that makes you very excited for the upcoming season. But again, the Bills have one of the top offenses in the league. Matt Hawk sucked last year, and it didn't really, in the grand scheme of things, hurt the Bills. Really hurt the Bills. And when they drafted Ariza, it was like, okay, Matt Hawk's time in Buffalo's done. And then Matt Hawk started the first preseason game against the Colts. And then Matt Ariza blasts the 82 yard punt. It's like, yep, okay, we already knew he was gone, but now he's guaranteed to be gone. All we need to know is that Matt Ariza can hold, and then he's going to be the punter. And Matt Ariza can hold. He holds the next game against the Denver Broncos. And they're like, okay, yeah, Matt Hawk's gone. Matt Hawk's get cut. Matt Hawk gets cut. But little did everybody know that as all of this was going on in regards to the season in August, when Matt Ariza was on the roster, Matt Ariza blasted the 82-yard punt, Matt Hawk gets cut, and then the next game against the Panthers, which was last Friday, Matt Ariza's getting his first full-time game as the Bills' an only punter on the roster. Little did everybody know, and again, this is all, like, we don't know, I don't know the facts. We're going off what we know, and for, for what we're getting told, and for what we're getting told, and what all is coming out, I am so happy that Matt Ariza just got cut from the Buffalo Bills. I am so happy. Again, I don't know all the details. I don't know all the details from what's going on, but this whole situation is one of the most disgusting situations I've ever read, if it's 100% true. And the crazy thing is, my dad's sister and I have talked about this quite a bit recently, since basically last Friday, or since Friday we've talked about it. If even the smallest of detail was true in this, it could be the smallest thing. Get him off the roster. And Matt Ariza just got cut yesterday, on Saturday. Just got cut. And for those who are completely unaware or haven't been looking at anything regarding Matt Ariza and the Buffalo Bills, because he's a punter, no one really cares about the punter. Like Deshaun Watson. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Top 10, maybe top 5 quarterback when he's playing. So everybody is looking towards that. But some people dismiss punting. And this situation is, on the grand scheme of things, this one, to me, is more disgusting than whatever Deshaun Watson was doing. This situ- this whole situation about Radarize, a guy you were so excited to have as a punter, and it's, it's a small thing, but when you have a team that's, you know, as supposedly complete as the Bills are, when your only real quote-unquote weakness was your punting unit, you get excited when you have a punter that can blast 80, 90-yard balls down the field and completely change the landscape of a game. And it sucks when you get so excited about something or so happy about something, and then a situation like this takes place, it makes you feel even worse than what you did if you weren't excited for this. Because now you're like, oh, I was cheering on this complete dickbag of a person, this terrible person. Again, we don't, I don't know all the facts. I would just like to clarify that. But again, it all if any of these details are true, if any, I don't care if he ever plays a snap in the NFL again, this dude, if any of this is true, needs to go to prison. Because in the best case scenario, he has ign- So, 
Okay, I guess we should go over the entire story first. So here is a thing I've seen on Twitter. This is one that was tweeted on uh, August 27th, so yesterday. For me, yesterday. Saturday for you. Here are the details of matter rise the situation. And I will warn you, some of these details are graphic. If, you're, if you are not aware of the situation at all. And this is pretty long description right here. Bill's rookie punter Matt Arise is being accused of gang raping a minor at an off-campus party last year. The lawsuit claims that upon arriving at the party, Matt Arise, who lived at home, gave a, 20, a, seven, a 27, no, 17-year-old girl a drink. She believed the drink not only contained alcohol but other intoxicating substances. The teen told Arise that she was in high school, she was a high school student and told her to perform oral sex before having sex with her outside. Ariza then took her to the bedroom where at least three other men threw her on the bed face, de- face first and raped her for about an hour and a half. The teen, st- quote, stumbled out of the room bloody and crying. Her nose, belly button, and ear piercings had been pulled out and she was also bleeding from her vagina. As soon as she escaped, she told her friends that she had been raped. She was taken to the hospital and underwent an extensive rape exam. At the request of police, she made pretext calls recorded by detectives and with the men named in the lawsuit. Ariza confirmed on the call that he had sex with a minor and recommended that she get tested for a sexually transmitted disease. At the request of detectives, she asked him, quote, and did we actually have sex? Or did we a- have actual sex? Then Ariza changed the tone and replied, this is Matt Ariza. I don't remember anything that happened that night before hanging up. Sources confirmed the Bills knew about the allegations on July 31st. Per an email between the Bills and the victim's attorney, they cut the punter, they cut punter Matt Hawk and named Ariza the starter on August 22nd anyways. So all of that situation goes down. And I've rarely had a moment in my life, especially under the Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott uh, reign in Buffalo, had a situation where I've gone, man, I'm not happy with what's going on right now. This is one of the most, like, you knew about this on July 31st. I don't care if it was oh, we're just going to try and figure this out on our own time type thing. I don't care. Once this gets announced, you don't go on and name him the starter less than a month later. I'm sorry. If they knew about this at all, this should not have been something that they go, okay, you know what? We're going to play Matt Ariza anyways. Okay, we're going to name him the starter. Okay, we're going to cut Matt Hawk. And then now we're now we're in a situation where they knew about it. Now everybody knows they knew about it. At some point, doesn't matter when it was, Really, doesn't matter if they knew last year, doesn't matter if they knew at the draft, it doesn't matter if they knew yesterday. They knew, and at the time, didn't do anything about it. This is literally the only time that I've been, quote-unquote, disappointed with the Bills' front office. And you can look at all the press conferences that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have done since all this stuff has come out, and you can tell they're embarrassed. They don't like how the situation went on. They don't like how they handled it. And when you look at how they've constructed this team and how they built the culture around Buffalo, this is the well. This should be the exact opposite organiz- way the organization should, like exact opposite thing an organization should be having going on. Anyways, when you look at how they built this roster and built this team, you this is not something that you ever expected to come out from this organization, the the, the current organization. And the Bills ended up cutting him. They did the right thing and cut him. But was it too little too late? They gave him an opportunity to punt. They gave him an opportunity to win the starting job. They gave him the opportunity to be the only punter on the roster and cut their other punter. 
I don't care how bad Matt Hawk was last year. Because Matt Hawk was bad. Matt, I don't think there's a lot of, like, I think Matt Hawk and per net punting average is like bottom three in the league, if not the worst in the league. I don't care how bad he was. I would take Matt Hawk every single trip of the train to avoid this. Like, this is one of the most disgusting things I think I've ever read. Like, I struggled reading that just a little bit ago. And this guy was going to be the starting punter of the Buffalo Bills. And this offseason, the NFL has been very a very strange offseason with the whole Deshaun Watson situation. Now we have this situation on our hands. And I haven't heard, I really haven't seen anything that Matt Ariza has said. But I've seen all the, the, the press conferences and things like that. Was cutting him the right thing to do? Yes, 100% of the time. And he'll be lucky if he doesn't go to like spend a long time in jail. But knowing about this for, I don't know, how many days is that? 23 days? And not doing anything about it until, oh, it's all blown up in our face? That's a little bit of an issue. That's where the issues, ha- that's where the issues lie. Not cutting him. Because right now, that's the thing to do. So he named the starter on the 22nd. They cut him on the 27th. That's five days. And then the story breaks pretty much on Thursday the 25th. And then all of this stuff goes down. And I think the craziest thing is about this is that when they conducted the phone interviews and everything, or phone call, they he literally said, acknowledges that they had some sort of sexual relation that night. Exclaiming that, hey, you should probably get tested. So the best case scenario here for Matt Ariza is that you had sex with an underage girl that was in high school. I know there's people out there that go like, oh, he's only four years older than her. That's not that big of a deal. It doesn't matter. She's not the legal age of consent. She's 17 years old. It's still, the, that is the best case scenario. <laughs> that That's the best case. We've already gone over what the worst case scenario is, and we're currently living that situation right now, the worst case scenario. Best case is that I know he's not, if we're going over the grad, I don't know what like, the age groups for the like pedophile is, which I guess, it, would it technically be that? Either, either way, you had sex with a minor. Doesn't matter how old she is. If she's almost 18, if she's, oh, she ju- she's like a day before she turned 18. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. High school student, underage, 21, that's enough right there. And then, then we have the other stuff that laid into this. Like, I don't really care. Like, I don't care if my dad is the punter of the Buffalo Bills. As long as he's not on the roster, I'm fairly content on the Bills punting situation. And apparently the Bills have reached out to Marquette King, former Raiders punter, and I loved myself to Marquette. When Marquette King and Pat McAfee, they were made punting exciting. I loved watching those two. I know Marquette King has a punted in a little bit, but they have reached out to him. There's other, there's, again, there's so many punt. Like, there's not a, I guess I shouldn't say there's a, there's so many punters. But literally, you could, they had Matt Barkley out there against the Panthers. You could have Matt Barkley punting out there, and I'd be perfectly fine with their punting situation. Just as long as Matt Arise is not the punter of the Buffalo Bills. Like, this situation, again, I, I, I'm going to preface this because we don't, I don't know all the details about it. But from everything I have read, get blast a rise of the sun for really all I care. I really don't care about this at this point. It's just a mess. It is a terrible, 
terrible situation. It is a horrific look for the Buffalo Bills. Again, it does not matter if the Bills knew about this last uh, last year when it happened. It doesn't matter if they knew about it during the scouting process. It doesn't matter if they knew about it during the draft. It doesn't matter if they knew it yesterday. The fact that they knew about it and at the time did nothing about it, that's what's bothering me with this whole situation. That's that's the concerning part. Cutting him's fine. Cutting him is the was the thing to do. And you can tell that they regret having him on the roster at all. And you can tell this affected the Bills' last preseason game. I know preseason games aren't really that meaningful in the grand scheme of things, but this affected the team a lot. This is a guy you shared a locker room with. This is a guy you hung out with every single... You just went through training camp with this guy. You did everything with this guy. Tyler Bass, the kicker, Reed Ferguson, the long snapper, Matt Hawk, we're hanging out with this guy every day. And this is something that is not supposed to affect the team, the, the, the team and stuff. Like, I hope this doesn't affect things. I don't know what the, if any players have come out and said anything. I've, all I've really seen is Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott talk about the situation. I haven't really seen any players come out and say anything. But it's a mess, and I don't think it's done yet. I really don't think it's done yet. I mean, he just got cut yesterday. 24 hours ago, pretty much, he got cut. Maybe a little less than that. Maybe a little less than 24 hours. He just got cut. But I don't think the situation's done. I, I'm intrigued to see what happens to him in regards to a sentence or a punishment or things like that because I saw something that since it didn't happen in the NFL, the NFL can't suspend him or something like that. Which is in its own right is stupid. But again, we've talked about the NFL and their suspension policies and how inconsistent they are with punishment of players. So you know what? That doesn't really surprise me that much. But this guy not only should never play in the NFL again, if if this is, again, the m- most minute detail could be true. I don't care. If this, this dude cannot play in the NFL again. This dude cannot play in the NFL again. I don't care. Like, I, I challenge you, if you read that and saw that little blurb that I read and you don't struggle reading it, I don't know what to tell that That, it... That hurt to read. And I'm just happy he's not on the roster anymore. But it is a terrible, terrible look for the team in regards to they didn't not doing anything about it. For an organization and a, a culture that's been built around the right people, like getting good people first. Like that's where it's that's that's the troublesome part for me. When you have all these situations where you've built this thing. And it just didn't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I, I do hope the Bills at least get someone decent at a punter. But I, I again, I could be fine with Matt Barkley being punting. Matt Barkley had a 50-yard punt on, on Friday against the Panthers. So you know what? I could be I could be content with Matt Barkley punting. I really don't care at this point. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm just I'm just happy that he got cut. Like my dad, sister, and I've been talking about it. It's like it, just cut him, just cut him. I at this point, there's so many details that are out, and so exclusive details, such excessive, excessive details. That's like you know what? I don't. If it's just, just cut him. Just get rid of him. I don't care. I really do not care at this point. And that's what again, that's what sucks the most because you're excited about getting a player like this. The dude's named the punt god. That you're excited. You're excited. That's that's what sucks a lot about it 
When you're so excited for something and they turn into what, well, not turn into, he was this when they drafted him. They just didn't know about it. Reportedly, reportedly. So, yeah. I'm just happy he got cut. I didn't know how I wanted to throw that in the show today. I knew I had to talk about it at some point. Because I literally, I ended the show Thursday when I was done recording and I saw it on Twitter. Like, it was right after I was done, like, uploading it and everything. I was like, wow, that's a, that's something. That's really something. And now I'm sitting here on Sunday a few days later, and they finally made the decision to cut him. I say finally. Well, yeah, no, yeah, finally. Finally made the decision to cut him. They should have cut him when they probably first heard about it. I don't know. It's a terrible, terrible situation. I'm going to try, try and move on to, uh... Uh, just try to get something, you know, try to try to talk about something else today. So something else that is going on right now in the NFL, trying to lighten up the mood a little bit, lighten it up to a certain extent. Cause I know it's hard to lighten up the mood when just talking about that. So we're going to try our best to do that. I'm not saying it's going to work or succeed or anything like that, but we're going to try to liven it up a little bit. So one thing that I've been seeing a lot on social media, we kind of talked about this. When was it? Wednesday show? With Sammy Watkins, Patrick Mahomes, or uh, Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, and all these different people coming out and saying things about Patrick Mahomes, like we're, I would just like to clarify this: this is Patrick Mahomes we're talking about, correct? Patrick Mahomes, the guy who's been to four straight AFC Championship games, the guy who's won a Super Bowl, won an MVP, done all that stuff. This is this is the same Patrick Mahomes that we're talking about Tua being better than Aaron Rodgers being on a completely different level than. This is Patrick Mahomes. I don't know what Patrick Mahomes did to Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill, but man. They feel some type of way about it. And Tyreek Hill spoke up again. Tyreek Hill said, I feel like they basically threw me to the side like I was trash or something. The problem with that statement that I have with that is uh, <laughs> they, they trade. He wanted an extension. He wanted an extension. Chiefs didn't need to give him an extension at the time. He said, okay, trade me. They said basically, okay, where do you want to get traded? Throwing you to the side is a little bit different than asking you where you want to go. And then when they got a better offer from the Jets and sent you to the Miami Dolphins because that's where you really wanted to go, that's not really throwing you to the side. I I don't really know what his his reason for throwing him to the side. They let him choose where to go. Tyreek Hill got to choose. He chose either the Jets or the Dolphins, and the Jets gave him a better offer, but he was like, nah, I want to go to the Dolphins. They gave the Chiefs a better offer, and they said, no, I'm going to go to the Jets or the, the Dolphins. And they had he and he was another person that had number new, another realm of uh what do you call it um accusations against him because he he break his son's arm or something throwing it aside wouldn't be standing by you during all that situation so I think he's got a I don't I don't know what the Chiefs did to this guy or why he's so against the Chiefs is it literally just because he wasn't the main cog in the offense is that really it? Because I look at what Tyreek Hill did in Kansas City, and I think Tyreek Hill is one of the most special receivers in the NFL. I don't think there's a receiver in the NFL that can do what Tyreek Hill does. I don't think there's a receiver as anywhere near as electrifying as Tyreek Hill in the entire NFL. And I think the only other guy that you can even kind of compare to him is the guy who's on his team in Jalen Waddle. In regards to just natural speed. I know like electrifying, you go know, like, oh, D- Jamar Chase is electrifying and players like that. I'm talking about just natural speed. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waller are the two fastest receivers in the NFL. I think Marquise Brown is a case in that as well. But to me, those are the two fastest. 
Like, were you mad that it was Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill? Or Mahomes and Hill or whatever. Mahomes was first. Is that just the thing that was the problem? They definitely did not throw him to the side whatsoever. I would love to know what standing by somebody would look like for him. That was throwing him to the side, letting him choose where to go, standing by him with the accusations going on against him. Like, (laughs) I'm I'm confused. I'm very confused about Tyreek Hill this offseason. I'm very confused. What is what is the reason for calling out Patrick Mahomes as much as he has? What is the reason for bashing the Chiefs? I hate the Chiefs. So I'm naturally open to bashing the Kansas City Chiefs whenever opportunity presents itself. I'm very open to doing that. So I'm not saying Tyreek Hill, you should not bash the Chiefs. They are, you know, I don't, screw them. I really don't care. But to say they threw you aside, that's not really the way I would look at it. It's kind of the exact opposite way I would look at it if I was Tyreek Hill. But I think it's a lot of like, oh, I didn't get it. I wasn't the main guy there. You listen to some of the podcasts there that he's done. Like when this first all started kicking off, he was talking about two and Patrick Mahomes and stuff like that. He was talking about. I remember there was one clip that I saw. It said um, something along the lines of he was mad that when Patrick Mahomes wasn't there, the Chiefs weren't the same. But why, what about when Tyreek Hill's not there? Why are the Chiefs not? Why is no one saying that when Tyreek Hill's not there? Which they were. Which I don't know why he was saying that there. I just think he wants to be the main guy. So the Chiefs throwing him to the side doesn't really sit, doesn't really hold a lot of water, if you know what I'm saying. There's really no water being held in this boat, like, or in this bowl. Like, it's, this really doesn't make any sense. (laughs) When I think of throwing somebody away, I mean, I look at, like, uh, getting the first trade offer you get and send him to a terrible organization. Send him to a, to hell, essentially. Getting as far away from your organization as possible. Not sending you a team that almost made the playoffs that you wanted to go to. That's not that's not throwing away. That's kind of that's, that's kind of the opposite. It's not like they just said, "Hey, hey, Tyreek, what's up? Hey, Coach. Hey, hey, G- I, uh, hey, Brett. Good, j- nice to see you guys today. Yeah, Tyreek, uh, we got something to tell you. Uh, we traded you. What? Yeah, we traded you to the Dolphins." Well, I don't want to go there. Well, it sucks. We already traded you. That's throwing someone away. Going, hey, coach. Hey, GM. I want, a, I want an extension. Okay, we don't want to do it this offseason. Okay, trade me. Okay, where do you want to go? I want to go to either Jets or Dolphins. Okay, we just got a really good offer from the Jets. No, no. I want to go down to the Dolphins. Okay, we'll go to the Dolphins. Sign a massive ass extension to the Dolphins, and that's that. What, what, that, that, that's not throwing anybody. I I don't know. I I'm confused by Tyreek Hill this offseason. I'm confused by the the disrespect I guess to Patrick Mahomes. But the guy that replaced Tyreek is, is one of the guys that's supposed to replace Tyreek Hill, or at least a attempt to replace Tyreek Hill. Sky Moore, rookie from Washington, uh, Western Michigan. Why well, I really like Sky Moore. The Bills really like Sky Moore, but you know he went a few picks before and they end up taking James Cook, which I'm perfectly fine with as well. But Sky Moore uh, was out at the rookie dinner for the Kansas City Chiefs. For those of you who are unaware, rookie dinner is the, you go, you take the rookie out. Rookie treats his position group to a massive dinner. Nice dinner. And since you're a rookie, what are you going to say? Nope. Okay. Sucks to suck. You're paying for it. So Sky Moore and the Chiefs wide receiver group went to 801 Chop House in Kansas City, 71 East 14th Street in Kansas City, Missouri. 6418 64108 
They paid $18,000 for dinner, $2,000 for wine, for a grand total plus tax, tax is almost $3,000, for a grand total of $22,730. That's not $2,200. That's not $227.30. No, 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 no. What was Sky Moore's signing bonus? I I would love to know this. Because that's the big thing. You got to look at the signing bonus. Sky Moore received a contract worth just over $6.4 million in total value with $1.87 million signing bonus. So, yeah, he he, he, he ain't missing, like, losing out on a lot there. I mean, it's a lot of money, but uh, I don't think a lot of people out there will have a lot of sympathy for it, but I just think it's kind of funny. I do think it's hilarious that the rookie receivers or rookies just in general, I don't want to know what like Aiden Hutchinson had to pay for or Trayvon Walker or things like that to the number one and two picks in the draft for defensive line groups because defensive offensive lines, they like to eat. They're big boys. So I'm very nervous for what those two bills looked like. Like, when you look at the offensive line, you look at the defensive line, those two groups, like, when you're going to a rookie dinner, especially when you're a high draft pick like that, ooh, I'd be a little nervous. I'd be going there. I'd be sweating a little bit. I'm sweating right now. I got a sweatshirt on for whatever reason I got a sweatshirt on, and this closet is freaking hot. So, but I'm going to try and tough it out. I'm going to try and tough it out. But, man, I, w- I wish I could pay for a dinner like $22,000. Like, I, I, like, as weird as it sounds, as weird as that sounds, if I'm paying for a dinner, and if I paid, not that I'm paying, I've paid it, I think I'm living a pretty solid life right there. I posted on Twitter, it'll be funny afterwards, posting the bill, but like, if I'm just paying for that, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm living all right. I'm doing all right. I might. So, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll pay for it. You know what? You want to get another dinner? You want to get another $2,000 worth of wine? Because I'll do it. I got $1.87 million waiting for me. I'll make this back in about, what, a, a week? <laughs> uh, it's fun. It's fun. I, I, I do like it. I do always like it. And while we're on the topic of other, like, rookies, the Ravens, and I, re- I really like this, and I'm saying that as a, a pun. It was unintentional at first, but it is kind of funny that it worked out like that. The Ravens' fourth-round tight end, Isaiah Likely, did not play in the Ravens' last preseason game. Neither did Kyle Hamilton. You are a fourth-round draft pick, and you're not playing the last preseason game. So he's made the roster. And we knew this after, like, the first game. I think after the first game, he had, like, 100 yards receiving. And I liked Isaiah Likely a lot going into the draft. We talked about how athletic he was. I don't remember where exactly we ranked him. But Isaiah Likely, very, 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 very athletic tight end. Very athletic. The only problem was that we didn't really know about the blocking situation. But when we looked at the tight ends, we had him ranked number four because Dolchich was a better blocker than him, more complete tight end than him. Jelani Woods, great athlete as well. So it was kind of like 3A, 3B, Jelani Woods and Isaiah Likely. But those two are good. Isaiah Likely is a very, very good tight end. Very, very good tight end. It was a solid tight end class, to be 100% honest. It was a very solid tight end class. Now, Jalen Weidermeyer, tight end from Texas A&M, who was before, like, if we're at this point last year, Jalen Weidermeyer was the pretty much consensus number one tight end of the draft. Pretty much consensus. And then he just got, he went undrafted. Not only did he get undrafted, he got cut by the Bills, and now he's on the Patriots. 
he's already made it through that, you know, weird stretch of, uh, yeah, he went from number one guy to undrafted to cut. <laughs> no one really saw that one coming. Same thing kind of goes for DeMarvin Leal. I don't know if it was a Texas A&M thing or something, but, like, what is DeMarvin, he's on the Browns, right? Is he on the Browns? He's on the Steelers. He got drafted third round by the Steelers. He's a defensive end now. He was a defensive tackle hybrid type thing. He played all he was a very versatile player. Very, 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 very versatile player. He could play DN, nose tackle, D tackle, outside linebacker. You'd think he logged every single defensive position apart from corner and safety during his time at Texas AM. But work ethic was an issue for him. That was one thing that was a big concern for him. But he felt it, so that's why he fell to the third round. But similarly to what he, uh, Jalen Weinermeyer was, uh, DeMarvin Leal was the number one D tackle, presumably. I mean, not for, I don't, uh, did we have him at number one or we did have him at two? Because I, I might have had him at one and Jordan Davis too. Top 50 prospects. Uh, okay, yeah, we had him at number one, Jordan Davis at number two. Yeah, DeMarvin Leal, the work ethic thing was a big issue. I remember that. But I don't know if it was an AM thing, but Isaiah Likely, what are, what are his numbers looking like for the preseason? He'll fit perfectly with this Ravens offense. I think this was the best, best, best case scenario for Isaiah Likely to go to. Ravens always draft well anyway, so it worked out well. Uh, why can't I not look at his preseason stats? Hold on. I'm trying to figure it out. Why, why can I not do this? Ravens won three straight preseason games. Again, I think they've won like 20,000 games in a row. He got over 100 yards against the Cardinals, the second preseason game. What did he get the first game? He had 44 yards receiving on four catches. I, like, Isaiah Likely is not going to get the same action in the NFL like when, during the regular season because Mark Andrews is a thing. And Mark Andrews is, uh, last year I think he was the number one tight end in fantasy football. Which if you're the number one tight end in fantasy football, that means you're doing something right. I think he had like 1,300 yards receiving last year. And with fantasy football, I think this is a nice little little thing here. So fantasy football is fun. If you don't like fantasy football, screw you. You know what? That's all I'm going to say about that. Screw you. It's fun. You hang out with the boys. You do draft. I got a draft tonight. I got a draft Thursday. And Thursday, I've got a draft where I've been in a league for about, I don't I think seventh grade. I've been in this league forever. I've won a championship. Like I should have won the championship last year. We've talked about this numerous times, I believe, on the show, right? Jonathan Taylor, Justin Herbert, Najee Harris, Devo Samuel. We had the squad. Won 11 games in a row, not including playoffs, and then lost in the championship game. Lost in the championship game. God bless you, Carson Wentz, for checking out a run plays. I love you for that. That's why your ass got traded to the Washington Commanders, which Sam Howell's playing well, really well as well. And we'll get to the quarterbacks here in a little bit for the rookies. At least I'll try to remember. Because I've noticed I've said that a lot recently. Where I'm like, oh, we'll get to that later. And I just completely forget to talk about it. Like, I remember I was going to talk about Kylie, like, a few weeks ago. I was going to talk about Kyler Murray's contract and his claws getting removed because he's getting made fun of so much. And I never talked about it. I've not talked about it since I brought that up. Like, I did, never did that. So I'm, I'm going to try and remember that. If I don't remember it, I apologize. But I want to get over fan. You know what? No. We've talked about rookies. We've talked about Isaiah Likely. These rookie quarterbacks are playing awesome this preseason. 
Kenny Pickett probably will start week one. I don't know how you can look at Kenny Pickett and what he's done so far and say Trubisky or Mason Rudolph should start. Kenny Pickett should be the number one guy in Pittsburgh. Malik Willis is balling out. We knew that going in. We knew that, though. We knew Malik Willis would ball out, and he's playing insane. Some of the throws he's making are just awesome. And he's running the ball extremely well. He's led the Titans in rushing two games of this preseason so far. Do I think he'll start this season? Maybe at all. Not really. I don't know if he'll start a game. Uh, like uh, I don't know if he'll start a game this season. I don't. Because Ryan Tannehill, the problem is with Ryan Tannehill is that Ryan Tannehill's last game, that every, and this is important with this kind of stuff, especially with quarterbacks, Ryan Tannehill's last game was arguably the worst game of his career. <laughs> he threw some of the worst interceptions I've ever seen in my entire life against the Cincinnati Bengals, against the Bengals secondary. We've talked about the Bengals defense. We talked about the Bengals defense last year. Talk about how they're an underrated unit because their run defense is very good. Their secondary, apart from Jesse Bates, was nothing special. I don't even know if Jesse Bates got an interception in that game. I don't even remember. I think he might have even thrown one to the defensive line. So when people are looking at Ryan Tannehill versus Malik Willis, Malik Willis is an extremely exciting quarterback. Raw, but very exciting. Just filled with potential, this guy. And Tannehill, whose last game threw three interceptions against the Tennessee, against the Cincinnati Bengals. In a game, in hindsight, they could have won and probably should have won. They lost by three points. Like, it, Joe Burrow got sacked, I think, nine times in that game. Like, the Titans' defense was pretty, was doing a decent enough job. But Tannehill just threw three interceptions. So when people look at Tannehill, they're like, oh, he shouldn't be the starter. You got a young, exciting quarterback and a guy who just coming off his worst game of his career. The odds are not stacked up very well for Tannehill in regards to fan relations, if you know what I'm saying. Fan relations with Ryan Tannehill are at an all-time low at this point. So, <laughs> Malik Willis, the calls for Malik Willis to start right away will be heavy. When you look at the, the, the Tennessee Titans schedule, at least the start of it, you got the Giants, then the Bills in Buffalo. First time they played in Buffalo, it feels like in 100 years. Then the Raiders, the Colts, and the Washington Commanders. So you got three potential playoff teams in those first five, four games, five games. And the Jets, the Giants, Washington Commanders, and the Raiders. <laughs> but uh, you've got some tougher games there against some solid defenses. Like the Bills, we already know about their defense. We got the best safety tandem in the lead. They brought in Vaughn Miller. Trey White, I don't know if he'll be back by that game. The Bills just need to be better against the run against the Titans. That's where they get killed against the Titans every single time they play them. The Raiders, solid defense, good edge rushers. They brought in Chandler Jones this offseason to trade Yannick Ngakwe to the Colts. Rocky Sin is now a corner in the Raiders, which is a big get for them because their secondary was not very good. Max Crosby's still there. Solid defense for the Raiders and the Colts. As we just said, they got Yannick Ngakwe. Shaq Leonard's there as well. They've got a very solid unit on defense as well. And the Commanders, if they can live up to expectations – you got a very young, very talented defensive line. Like, you're playing some decent defenses through those first five weeks. And then you got to buy in week six. So, I'm imagining that fanfare for Malik Willis during those five games. Giants game, I don't really think they'll struggle against. But the other games, they could struggle in regards to, especially since they don't have any real like, insane options. Why? They trade A.J. Brown to the Eagles. They got Traylon Burks in the draft. They traded for Robert Woods, who's coming off a torn ACL. They don't really have a tight end option. I think they did draft somebody, but I don't remember who it was. 
Oh, they got Austin Hooper. Oh, they got Che uh, Okonwo. They got Okonkwo. They got him in the draft, so there was their tight end they got there. But Austin Hooper, they got him from Cleveland. But they don't have a ton of options receiving-wise. So if Tannehill starts to struggle, and I don't know if Malik Willis will be the if he's the official backup or not at this point, because Logan Woodside could still be the backup. I haven't watched like start to finish a Titans preseason game this year, but I've seen a lot of throws from Malik Willis in this preseason. I've watched him, like watched the the game breakdowns of Malik Willis, but I don't know if he's starting or not. But once those games happen, and let's say hypothetically Tannehill's not playing his best, oh man. The ice below Tannehill is going to start getting very, very thin. Malik Willis is a very popular quarterback. There's not really a lot to dislike about Malik Willis, at least off the field. Very likable person. Very talented quarterback. All the things people are looking for in quarterback, Malik Willis pretty much has all of it. Maybe not height. He's not necessarily the tallest guy. He's about 6'1", but he can move, so that very much makes up for it. But fanfare around Malik Willis will be extremely high if Tannehill starts to struggle. I don't even think if Tannehill struggles. If Tannehill just plays... Fanfare Malik Willis will be very, very hot. And then Kenny Pickett, we already talked about him. He's had a very nice preseason as well. And he should be the starter week one for the Steelers. Because I'm sorry, I've said Mitch Trubisky deserves a chance to be a star in the NFL. But there's not really a lot keeping Kenny Pickett from starting right away. And they're playing the Bengals first. Division rival in Cincinnati. So I could see a, a scenario if Trubisky does start where they end up putting Pickett in. At some point, Mike Tomlin does like himself some Kenny Pickett. Then for the Falcons, we've already talked about this with Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter's played well. Desmond Ritter's played very, very well for the, the Falcons this preseason. Marcus Mariota and him are very similar in styles of play regards to size, talent, and all that stuff. So I would not be shocked if there was a, wor a world where Desmond Ritter potentially starts fairly early in the season because he's played really well. And Sam Howell for the Washington Commanders. We brought them up just a little bit ago. He's played very well this preseason. Like, these quarterbacks, I don't really... Again, it's preseason, so I, I shouldn't read a hundred, like way, way too much into it. But these quarterbacks are talented. We talked about these quarterbacks a lot during the season. We had court, weekly quarterback rankings. Like, these quarterbacks are good. I don't know how Sam Howell fell to the fifth. I don't know how Ritter, Willis, and Corral, who's not going to play the season, all fell to the third. I don't know how Bailey's happy got taken to the fourth, but, like, it's just surprising stuff. Like, these quarterbacks just got really undervalued in this draft. I was shocked by that. And they're all playing very, very well. So I think there's a chance that we see those first three guys we mentioned. Maybe four. Carson Wentz hasn't necessarily been the most, I don't know, consistent guy. So I could really see in regards to just overall play. And then Han has... Had some odd injuries. Every, like he, he, he sprained both ankles on the same play. I don't know how the hell that po that's possible. But Sam Hell can ball. So I'm excited to see when these rookies get a chance to play. Kenny Pickett, I think, deserves a shot at week one. Ritter, I could see. I don't know. Their bye week's not until week 14. So I don't know when, if we're going to have like a bye week change or anything. But I think Ritter could get some decent playing time. And then, um, who else did we bring up? Willis, I, I think the odds for Willis starting right away are slim. But I think him getting some decent, I think he could play. I think we might see him in like 10 games this year. I don't know if he'll start any, but I think we'll see him in some games this year. 
And then Howell, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be the number two or if he's going to be the number three guy, but I think he he's another guy that's played pretty well. Tough dude. Tough, tough dude. Very good mover. You saw what he did last year. For what he didn't, for what he lacked in consistency in regards to the pass game, he made up for it tenfold in the run game. Like Sam Howell was awesome. I liked Sam Howell. They had a very the odds were stacked up against Sam Howell at the start. I was nervous about that at the start of the season, losing your four best weapons. It's going to make some changes, and Sam Howell made up for it in regards to running. And I think I don't know what really, if I'm being honest, and I don't want to sound like I'm just bashing Bailey Zappi for the sake of bashing Bailey Zappi. I don't know what Bailey Zappi does better than Sam Howell. I don't. That's not me trying to be mean. Like I had Bailey Zappi, I think, ranked seventh out of the quarterback. I don't know what he does better. He put up really insane numbers last year for a pass-first offense. So I, I don't know. He's not as good of a mover as Howell. He doesn't have a strong of arm as Howell. He's smaller than Howell. So I, I don't know. I like Zappy to a certain extent, but the fourth round was a little high for me. And then Howard of the fifth was a little low. And I think he was taken in like the back half of the fifth. Like it wasn't even an early fifth round pick. He was taken like in the, if I'm remembering right, I could be very wrong about this, but I, I believe he was taken like near the bottom of the fifth round. But I am excited to see what those guys do. But back to what we were talking about, just in case I forgot to talk about the rookie quarterbacks, fantasy football. And when you're looking at rookies in fantasy football, that's where I like to go. Because no one's really expecting a lot from rookies because they're rookies. But when you spend as much time as I do in regards to looking at prospects and stuff like that, I always like to think I I have a little advantage in regards to drafting rookies. And I, dra- I will draft rookies this year. I'll draft second-year players that didn't really get all the playing time last year. But when you're doing like the grand scheme of fantasy football, there's different strategies you can implement. Like, a lot of people, like, there's two main strategies here. And though there's two different strategies, they both agree on one thing, and that's not draft quarterbacks first. (laughs) You don't, you draft, you wait till later to draft a quarterback. And Tom, who I brought up on the show before, has done a fantasy league. And I was texting him throughout the day, and Tom, or throughout the day, Tom texted me at, what time did he first shoot me a message? At 1.09, it is 3.03 right now, and I was texting him throughout this process about who to draft, and he said I picked Allen first. And though I like the fact that he picked Josh Allen, of all the quarterbacks in the NFL, I'd love Josh Josh Allen's, I don't, I don't was Justin, Justin Herbert was number one last year, wasn't he? Or he was number two. One of those two was number one or two. But don't take quarterbacks first. And I should have recorded the show on Thursday. Then I would have avoid- Tom would have avoided the situation. I'm not, I'm not a fan of his his running backs, and I'm not I'm not trying to bash Tom's team, but it's the only team I have in front of me at this point in time. So we're gonna we're gonna analyze Tom's fantasy football team, and I since I have won multiple fantasy championships, I feel like I'm a I'm more inclined. I I, I know more about fantasy football because I'm a a former champion. I just won a championship last year, not in a league that I've been in forever, but my friend's neighborhood league, who they have told me never won a league. Whenever, no one's ever won the league first year. Barbara won, that was the first year of the league. Came in, conquered it, and I have yet to hear if they're having that league back this year. So we'll have to see. If I got kicked out of the league my first year because I dominated it. 
but yeah, the two strat when I talk about fantasy football strategies, the the two main strategies you look at are either drafting running backs first or drafting wide receivers first. I 90% of the time have subscribed to the draft I'm about 75. I don't want to like 75 25. 75% of the time I have subscribed to the mindset of drafting running backs first. Because running backs the the only real problem with running backs versus wide receivers is that they could go down the field, they could lead a drive all the way down, and then they get pulled, and then someone runs a yard, one-yard touchdown. Like, you look at Derrick Henry for the Tennessee Titans, and I don't, I'm not saying this is happening, or does happen in insane, uh, like, a lot of times, but let's say Derrick Henry leads the team all the way down the field. He has 70, yard rushing, 70 yards rushing on this drive. But then Mike Vrabel's like, oh, we need to give him a little break. Dontrell, Dontrell Hilliard, the backup. Hey, can you just go punch it in? Like, I don't, it always weird. It's, it's a little weird when teams do that. And then you've got teams like the New England Patriots who platoon running backs that make it a little bit more difficult to do that. And there's certain teams you don't want to touch their running backs. Though they might have a good game every once in a while, they're not consistent enough to be top guys in your your fantasy leagues. And there's like if you subscribe to the running draft running backs first thing, and I, I normally I do. So then when you have like a receiver, like let's just say you have Christian McCaffrey. You have the number one overall pick. And this year, based off what we know from last year, the top two guys in the draft are more likely than not going to be Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey. Jonathan Taylor, I got with a tenth pick last year. Tenth. That ain't happening again. Unless I bribe the league, Jonathan Taylor ain't getting the tenth getting the tenth overall again. As painful as that is that that is for me to say, Jonathan Taylor's not going tenth. Christian McCaffrey is a very peculiar case, though. Because Christian McCaffrey, when he's healthy, I've said this a thousand times. When Christian McCaffrey is healthy, he's the best running back in the league. There's not a running back that is as complete as him. The problem is with that statement is the first part of that. When he's healthy, Chris McCaffrey is an insane, insane athlete with the ball in his hands. Absolutely insane. But if we look at his last few seasons, the past two, he's completed a combined 10 games. He started off his career three straight 16-game seasons. Three straight. And his last season where he was fully healthy, 2019, he had 1,300 yards rushing and 11, uh, just over 1,000 yards receiving. Had 19 total touchdowns that season. Like, that's what he, and he, he didn't lose a fumble. That's the crazy thing. He went for 1,000, 1,000, 19 touchdowns and no fumbles. He fumbled, but he didn't lose the fumble, which is the key thing here. Over his career, he's lost two fumbles. So if Chris McCaffrey is healthy, he is a no-doubter for the first overall pick. No doubter. The problem is he, over the past two seasons, has not been healthy. And when you look at the Carolina Panthers offense, they are so heavily reliant on Christian McCaffrey that the injuries are bound to happen at some point. Because he's so much, he's so heavily utilized in this offense. And they've tried to take some of the pressure off him. DJ Moore's in, Robbie Anderson's there. They brought in uh, Ikea Kwanu. They brought in Baker Mayfield to provide some sort of consistency at the quarterback spot. They got Chuba Hubbard in there to provide Christian McCaffrey with some sort of a leeway, so he doesn't. So maybe it avoids injuries. Devonte Don 
Dante Foreman's also in. Terrace Marshall, they brought him in from LSU. Rashad Higgins. Like they brought people in to try and take some of the pressure off of Christian McCaffrey. But his offensive line is still not very good apart from getting Icky Aquanu. They brought in Austin Corbett from the Rams. Guard, drafted by the Browns. So it's... It's just they got Brady Christensen in there as well from BYU. So they're just trying to improve this offense to make his workload less so the injuries are avoided more. Because when he is healthy, when he is healthy, he's the best running back in the NFL. But with the first pick in the draft, I would probably lean towards Jonathan Taylor in the draft. Because, and this a big thing for Jonathan Taylor last year, to a certain extent, Marlon Mack got hurt. Marlon Mack didn't play. So that was really big. He didn't need to rotate with it. I think Marlon Mack broke his foot like in the preseason or something. He's not even on the team anymore. So that 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 I'm not saying that, that will that'll hurt him. Oh no, that was what? Was he hurt? When was he hurt? Was he hurt two years ago? Or was he hurt last year? He played six games last year. So in the past two seasons, Marlon Mack's played seven games. But Jonathan Taylor does everything. The thing that helps Jonathan Taylor that does that is the opposite of Christian McCaffrey. He's got probably what top? Not probably. He's got top two off the line in the NFL. Top three off the line in the NFL. Got the best run blockers in the NFL. Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly's there as well. They brought in Bernard Raymond, the tackle from Central Michigan. Very big project piece, but athletic nonetheless. Former tight end. But Jonathan Taylor can catch the ball to the backfield. He can run the ball like the best of them. And he's a bigger dude. Chris McCaffrey, I'm not saying he's a small running back, but he's not as big as someone like Jonathan. At least I don't think he's as. I could be wrong about that. 5'10", 226. He's a little thicker than Chris McCaffrey. How big is Chris McCaffrey exactly? Five, okay, he's taller than Jonathan Taylor. But 205. Jonathan Taylor's a big dude. 226. Basically 230 pounds. He's got twenty. He's got twenty pounds on Christian McCaffrey, and Jonathan Taylor has pretty much throughout his time in the league and even in college has pretty much avoided injuries, which is not knock on wood because I like Jonathan Taylor. I don't want I don't want him to get hurt, even though he's on the Colts and he scored five touchdowns against the Bills last year. I don't want him to get hurt because I like him, even though he's not going to be on my team this year. And then another running back that's always going to be mentioned up there is Derrick Henry because Derrick Henry again. He's pretty much avoided injuries entire career, but last year it caught up to him finally. But even then, he played eight games and 937 yards. He had 2,000 yards rushing the season prior. The past four seasons, he's had over 10 rushing touchdowns, or 10 or more rushing touchdowns. Like, Derrick Henry is Mr. Consistent in regards to the running back position, but he's not going to catch the ball in the backfield. He does not do that. He he does not He's not a very big threat in the pass game. And he got, like, Dalvin Cook, who's a – a uh, big back in regards to utilizing in both the pass game and the run game, but he's got Alexander Madison who could could take some touchdowns off him, which is something to think about. But you just draft Alexander Madison as well, like you have your your backup option. So you have your what do they call him? His your safety your safety net. So you, if Jonathan like if you draft a running back and they've got a guy that can play quite a bit, might as well just try at some point to get their backup. Or get another guy that can play. And they got you've got a lot of teams like that. The Browns have Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You got the Vikings with Madison and Cook. You got the Packers with the uh, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. 
You got the Lions to a certain extent with Jonathan with DeAndre Swift and um Williams. I'm completely forgetting his name. I don't know why I'm completely forgetting his name right now. Whatever. I, I can't remember. But then with like teams like the Ravens and teams like the Eagles and teams like the Bills. Are that more let's talk about the Ravens and Eagles first. Because the Ravens and Eagles, I like their running backs. I like J.K. Dobbins, who's coming back from an injury. I like Miles Sanders. The problem is when you're looking at teams like that, and then we can throw the Bills in there. I like I like Devin Singletary and like James Cook. Well, they're I don't think they're as good as the other two we mentioned. With J.K. Dobbins' projection, because he hasn't really done a whole lot in the league yet. But those quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, is there any other guys that I could really put in that situation that would be maybe Kyler Murray to a certain extent? Quarterbacks are going to score more rushing touchdowns than running backs in those situations, especially Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen, because Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen are big dudes. In regards to big, I mean like thick dudes. Jalen Hurts had 10 rushing touchdowns last year. Out of the Eagles, 25 rushing touchdowns. He had three more than the next closest guy in Boston Scott. When you look at the Bills and their rushing touchdowns. Okay, Devin Singletary did have seven, which is actually pretty impressive. I did not know Devin Singletary led the, league, led the Bills in touchdowns. That's why we weren't going to talk about them at all. So forget I said that. Forget I said that. And Lamar Jackson was hurt most of last year. But he had 776 yards rushing. Like Jonathan Taylor and Lamar Jackson, or Jonathan, um, Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson both led their teams in rushing. Jalen Hurts led the team in rushing touchdowns. I don't know about Kyler Murray, because James Conner had like 15 rushing touchdowns last year, so that one's not really the... Oh, he did have 15. I kind of forgot about James Conner existing, but J- Kyler Murray will run the ball quite a bit. And that's another thing. James Conner scored 15 touchdowns. He only had 752 yards rushing. He averaged 3.7 yards a carry. So you got to try and figure out, will this guy be their red zone guy? We know he's going to be their main guy, but there are teams that like to implement red zone guys, like the Bills. You look at some of their games they played this preseason when they run the ball, Zach Moss is their red zone guy. So Devin Singletary and James Cook could lead the team down the field, Zach Moss going in on the red zone. So Zach Moss has like four rushing touchdowns in the preseason. Two or, he's got somewhere between two or four rushing touchdowns because he goes in the red zone. So you got to be mindful of that. So when people go like, oh, there's fantasy football is just luck, there is strategy behind it. You just got to try and figure out, you got to think about all these different variables when you're when you're on the running back situation. And then like running backs like Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott or players like that who were once really really good fantasy backs, now value has deteriorated like crazy cuz Saquon can't stay healthy and is a terrible offensive line and Zeke's not even better than Tony Pollard really at this point. But I don't know, like running backs like Austin Eckler, running backs like I'm blanking here. Hold on. I'm just looking at the I'm completely blanking right now. But Austin Eckler, not necessarily gonna have just as one running back here, because I'm kinda I'm just having a brain fog right now. Austin Eckler is a guy that will get you a lot of receiving yards. So if you're in a PPR league, which is points per reception, Austin Eckler is gonna be one of your top, top guys in fantasy football. Like Austin Eckler had less than a hundred a thousand yards rushing last year but averaged almost 10 yards a catch in the pass game last year. Didn't score. A, he led the team in, uh, second on the team in receiving touchdowns last year. But he had 20 touchdowns last year. 20. Like players like that, that aren't going to – so John, Austin Eckler will be one of the top – one of the first running backs taken. If I had to do, like, fantasy hierarchy for running backs, and, again, I would 
I, I, I stress the caution around Christian McCaffrey. So make sure you keep that with caution. But I would probably go like JT with the caution of McCaffrey, but McCaffrey two, Cook three, Henry four, and then like Eckler five. Is there anybody I'm forgetting? Like Najee Harris will be up there. Joe Mixon will be up there. Joe Mixon gets the ball like he got it all. He used to get it all the time. And the Bengals are very, uh, what do you call it? Very fluid offense. They like to switch it up quite a bit. They're very, yeah, they just like to switch it up like a bit. They'll, they'll run the ball, they'll pass the ball, do whatever. So Joe Mixon will get his touches. So don't worry about Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and all those guys. Joe Mixon will get his touches. Guaranteed to that. And they like to use him in the red zone as well. So there's your touchdown guy there. Potentially, one of your touchdown guys. But those, I think, would be my top five running backs. Again, I'm sorry for completely forgetting about somebody. But, like, again, you've got rookies like Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker with two organizations, or two, not necessarily the organizations, but two coaching staffs that love to run the football. The Seahawks, pretty much their offense, when they won the Super Bowl, they're, like, the face of their franchise was Marshawn Lynch. When you look at Robert Sala coming over from San Francisco, being a defensive-minded head coach, running the ball is key. You listen to Brandon Staley talk about it. I think this is the best way you can describe running the ball in the NFL and just running the ball in general. It doesn't matter if you get one yard rushing. If you run the ball, you are you are engaging with the defense. When you pass the ball, the defense can get plays off. You are being physical with the opposing defense. It doesn't matter if you get one yard or ten, you're being physical with the opposing defense. So when you have defensive coaches like Robert Sala, I think, I'm pretty sure Pete Carroll's a defensive guy, they're going to run the ball quite a bit. Now, the Seahawks do have uh, Rashad Penny there. The Jets do have Michael Carter there. They do have um, Tevin Coleman there. They have Ty Johnson there. So they do have some other options, but Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker are those guys. The Bills drafted James Cook this year. will be using the pass game quite a bit. They split him out in the preseason so far, which is why they drafted him, which provides something a little different. Devin Singletary is decent in the pass game, but you could definitely improve upon that. I think James Cook is the improvement on the pass game for the Bills. But there's some good run. There, the running back tra- the running back strategy has served me well. But if you go wide receiver strategy, like there's some you there's like we've talked about before, the wide receiver landscape in the NFL is better than it's ever been at this point in time. Better than it's ever been. So you might see like with Cooper Cup having the triple crown last year. That's gonna be massive. Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are expected to blast off this year, too. And they've already blasted off, but they're gonna do it again. That's what the expectation is. Devontae Adams, will his numbers be the same without Aaron Rodgers? I know he went from one Hall of Fame quarterback to another, but will they be the same? Tyreek Hill, how will his numbers look without Patrick Mahomes? A.J. Brown, I mean, he's been a predominantly a run-first unit his entire career, but he's bowed some injuries as well. But when he's on, he's on. Stephon Diggs, baller. I don't know why I didn't think of Stephon Diggs first, but baller, one of the top guys. He'll get his touches. Gabe Davis, the other receiver of the Bills, well, he'll get his touches. I'm expecting Marquise Brown's numbers to be up by a certain extent because he played with Kyler. He's best friends with Kyler Murray. And you're coming in a pass-first offense. The Cardinals have a pass-first team. Very fluid offense, but a pass-first unit nonetheless. And DeAndre Hopkins is going to be out for a little bit because I think he has a PED suspension. I think he's out for like six games. Michael Thomas is back, I think. I don't know. Depends on how, if he wants to sit out or not. Is there any other receivers I'm really forgetting about? Because I feel like there is, and I, I just can't think about it. 
There's got to be someone I'm forgetting about. There's, uh, there's a big name that I'm completely scratching off that I had not said. Debo. Debo Samuel. Can he do the same things that he did last year? Because he has made it abundantly clear that he does not be want to be used as a running back. He's not a wide back, even though that's the name he gave himself. He does not want to be used like that. He wants to be a wide receiver. And even then, he was fifth in receiving last year in the NFL. DJ Moore's fun. Mike Williams. This is what we're talking about with the safety net. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. Mike Williams gets a lot more touchdowns normally than Keenan Allen. I shouldn't say a lot, a lot more, but he'll get more. He's their Chargers deep threat, even though he doesn't catch the ball as much as Keenan Allen does. He had 40, 30 less catches than Keenan Allen last year. 30. And had three more touchdowns, which is big. C.D. Lamb expected to take a jump this year. Darnell Mooney, a lot of people really like him. Like, there's a lot of good options at wide receiver this year. So if you're picking early in the draft, like let's say you have a pick one to five. I would say go with the running backs first because you can get good wide receivers later. But if you have a later pick in the first round, like somewhere between the eight and nine picks, eight and ten picks, like if you're in a ten, let's just say hypothetically you're in a ten-team draft, you might want to look more at the wide receivers just because the run, the top, top running backs, you can get – so, like, your top, top guys will probably all be off the board. Very high chance they'll all be off the board. They might be all gone by the first nine picks. So you might be sitting there with the top wide receivers, and you're going to have to pick. And then you also got to look at, depending on what type of league you're in, you might, in a strange world, might look at a tight end like Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews at the 10th or even 11th. Like, if you're in a snake draft, which 90% of you are, you'll draft, you could potentially draft a tight end in the first two picks of your draft because those two are so high in value in regards to what they do for their offenses, especially Travis Kelsey now that Tyreek Hill is gone. Mark Andrews last year had nine touchdowns, 1,300 yards receiving. Travis Kelsey had 1,100 with nine touchdowns. Darren Waller, when healthy, is a freaking baller. Kyle Pitts, he's going to have more touchdowns this year. I can promise you that. He only had one touchdown last year. I guarantee, and that wasn't even on U.S. soil. It was over in London. I can promise you he's going to have more touchdowns this year. I can promise you that. Unless he gets hurt. Knock on wood because I like Kyle Pitts too. George Kittle, baller. TJ Hawkinson kind of ner- makes me nervous because normally we've talked about this before. He's a He is a top five tight end. Top six if you want to be like, want to get super weird about it. But top five, top six tight end in the league. The problem is his fantasy value is kind of up and down because the Lions, last year at least, they had injuries along their offensive line. So when they were passing... TJ Hawkinson was used in pass coverage, pass blocking, pass protection. So his numbers in the pass game went down. And the Lions, with Dan Campbell, are going to be a run-first unit more often than not. And they got nice running backs. And then they do got some nice wide receivers, some decent ones they brought in. They had Amon Ross St. Brown, who's a really talented wideout, who I was, like we said last year, shocked that he fell as far as he did. They brought in Jamison Williams in the draft. They got Josh Reynolds there. Like, they've brought in some decent players to help take the pressure off Jared Goff. But we'll see how that affects TJ Hawkinson in the past game or whether they use him in the run game or how they use him in blocking and stuff like that. The season's going to be fine. I love fantasy football. But, yeah, whether you implement running back first, wide receiver first, whatever, just don't draft a quarterback first. You can get good quarterbacks throughout the draft. But once that first quarterback goes off the board – I don't know, It's it kind of varies on when that happens, but when that first person takes the first quarterback, I've never, I'm not usually one that will take the quarterback first. Like, out of the out of the groups, I'm not usually the guy who will go first quarterback. 
I'm not saying take him with your first pick, but like the first guy that takes a quarterback in the draft. But once that happens, it starts kind of a tidal wave effect of, oh, you took Josh Allen. Well, I'm going to get Mahomes. I'm going to get Herbert. I'm going to get Lamar. I'm going to get Burrow or Herb, Jalen Hurts or quarterbacks like that. So you got to be smart on when you pick. You got to load up your roster and then quarterbacks. Because quarterbacks are going to get good points pretty much regardless because there's only one of them. They're not competing with anybody else in the roster to score points. There's one quarterback on the field at all times. So when you have a guy that is de- – and there's a decent, a, a good group of young quarterbacks, good quarterbacks in the NFL. There's about – you can make an argument there's about 11 to 12 good fantasy football quarterbacks. When you're in a league with 12 teams, that sits very well with you. Sits pretty well. Like the ones that you're going to be looking at in the draft, at least at the start of the season, like Josh, Herbert, Mahomes, healthy Lamar, Jalen Hurts, just because of what he can do in the run game. He's going to score red zone touchdowns for the Eagles. Rodgers, Brady, Stafford, Trey Lance will be fun this year. Uh, Dak, Kyler Murray. Like, you've got a good group of quarterbacks that you can look at in fantasy football and go, yeah, yeah. Like, if I was looking at any of the young quarterbacks in the league and which one you would probably look at to take, and we're talking about second-year guys and first-year guys, Trey Lance is the main guy out of the, like, first- and second-year guys. And then when you look past Trey Lance, it gets kind of murky because none of the other guys are really in a situation to win right away. And when they are, they're not necessarily going to be main cogs in regards to fantasy value. Mac Jones is not really a great fantasy quarterback because he doesn't really – you look at the wide receivers the Patriots have and you look at the running back situation, they're going to run the ball more often than not. Mac Jones is going to get his touchdowns, but he's not going to put up monster numbers. 90, more often than not, he's not going to put up monster numbers. Trevor Lawrence got good weapons this year. You got Travis Etienne in the backfield along with James Robinson, so maybe his numbers go up. But you're probably looking at, like, Kenny Pickett as your number two guy if you're looking at younger quarterbacks. Because Mike Tomlin will make sure that he's put in the best situation to succeed right away if he does end up being the starter right away. Because he's got Najee Harris, an established running back who's rushed for over a thousand, well over 1,000 yards last year. He's got a decent group of wide receivers. George Pickens looks awesome. And he's got good quarterbacks to learn from, or a good quarterback to learn from in Trubisky. So I think he's set up in that position to do well. And Pat Fryermuth is a good tight end as well. So I think those are your two guys. I'm not saying Trey Lance is the only one you'd start. Trey Lance is really, at this point in time, the only one you would start out of the young quarterbacks. And unless I'm completely forgetting about somebody, he's the only one. And then you can try and be sneaky with it. You can get a guy that's either injured or suspended. Like, you could take Deshaun Watson with your last pick or something. Keep him on your suspended or IR list until he comes back. I don't know how good his numbers are going to be when he comes back, but I know he's playing the Texans his first game. So, you know what? I'm expecting his numbers to be good to that game at least. Ah, but fantasy football's fun. What is Tom's team? I guess I'd even look at Tom's team. So Tom got Josh Allen, Leonard Fournette, David Montgomery, A.J. Brown, Jahan Dotson, DJ, Christian Kirk, Rams defense, Cairo Santo, Miles Sanders, Robert Wood, Robert Woods, Antonio Gibson, Michael Carter, Trevor Lawrence, Robbie Anderson, George Pickens. I like the George Pickens pick. Looked like it was his last pick in the draft. Robbie Anderson's got to compete with DJ Moore, but he does get some targets. Trevor Lawrence, yeah, I mean, backup option. Michael Carter competing with carries for Brees Hall, so that one's a little iffy for me. Antonio Gibson, I know a lot of people really like Antonio Gibson. I'm still up in the air about Antonio Gibson. Robert Woods coming off a torn ACL. Miles Sanders, and I told him this one, Miles Sanders competing with Jalen Hurts for red zone touchdown, so that's going to be big. Cairo Sano's decent. 
Rams defense, I mean, they're it's the Rams defense. And they're they're in a tougher division, but it's the Rams defense. They got Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, that's really all you need. <laughs> Christian Kirk, the guy who screwed the rest of the NFL in regards to receiver contracts, he's going to be the number one guy for the first time in his career. I'm kind of nervous about that for him, but we'll see. Hawkinson, we just talked about him. Dotson, I like Jahan Dotson, but he's going to be with Terry McLaurin for catches. That's a big guy to get take catches off of, but I do like him. Then A.J. Brown, like him. Dave Montgomery and Leonard Fournette kind of scare me as running backs, as your starters, but Josh Allen at quarterback will make things a little bit uh, – ease things for you a little bit. But, yeah, I think that's all really that I've got. We got college football that was this weekend. Kind of forgot about that. I don't know how I forgot about college football being this weekend. But, uh, yeah, Nebraska lost. Surprise. <laughs> a lot of – I've seen some weird things those past couple days about people raking Nebraska like they were some really good team. That, I don't understand that at all. And Scott Frost, you know what? Last year at this point, he had a 37.5% win percentage. He's down to 33.3. So, you know what? Scott Frost, the all-time worst win percentage in Nebraska history is 31. He is gunning for that win, that that record. He is gunning for it. Let's just see if he gets fired before that. They're playing North Dakota and Georgia Southern, so they could get two wins there, but North Dakota, tough team. Going to play it tough. But they lost to the Northwestern over in Ireland. Fun game. Fun game. I love watching Nebraska screw themselves over. Onside kick when you're up 11 is the greatest moment I think I've ever seen in Nebraska football history. It was awesome. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Casey Thompson played through two picks in the game. Yeah. Ryan Helsinki played pretty decent in that game. I was actually kind of surprised. But I was kind of surprised, kind of surprised about that. 314, two touchdowns for him. And not negative yards rushing. So, you know, that's a positive. Very positive for him. <laughs> Uh, the battle of knowledge, battle of the ends, battle of the schools of knowledge, Nebraska and Northwestern. <laughs> oh man, but Northwestern won. I, I I loved it. It was hilarious. Uh, then the game of the week, Vanderbilt versus Hawaii. Vanderbilt won sixty three ten. Kind of depressing. Kind of depressing. I don't know where I got the hiccups from, but we're gonna stop before I start hiccuping the rest of the show. Uh, well, let's go. Over. North Texas won. Nevada won. North Carolina won. Florida Atlantic won, Florida State won, Illinois won, Utah State won, UNLV won, and Western Kentucky won. Uh, let's get out of the show before I just start hiccuping everywhere. Uh, Desmond Howard, uh, his his final four in the college football playoff was very freaking weird. It looked like an NCAA football sim from the video games. It was Texas A&M, Pitt, Baylor, and Michigan. Ah, uh, okay. I'm kind of I'm I'm weirded out by that. I don't I don't know. That looks like something from NCAA football. Like I remember when I was doing my Colorado sim. Let's see if I can find it. I did a sim, like we've talked about it in the past, but I did a sim with Colorado and I was on like some insane, I, I don't remember what season I was on. But yeah, I, I've won a lot. I've won a lot of national championships. I was, I was, pretty, I was pretty solid coach at, at, uh, at Colorado. And I might try to buy Steven's Xbox 360 off him just so I could get back to my sim because I, I put time in my in my Colorado sim, but I want to see my top ten because if you know NCAA football games, you know how weird these sims can be in regards to uh, records and like teams that are good and teams that are not. It always it always screws with you. But do I not have it anymore? Because Colorado, I mean Colorado was the number one team that I, I was. I created a dynasty with Colorado. So if that's not if that's not weird enough for you. Where's my, where is the top 10? Because it's not, 
It was just really weird. Very strange top 10. If I'm not going to find it, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to find it. Man, I don't have the top 10 anymore. But it was it was like the quintessential NCAA football top 10. Like, if you think you can think of the weirdest top 10. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Found it. Uh, number one was Colorado. Number two, Wisconsin. Three, Oregon State. Four, Florida Atlantic. Five, LSU. Six, Georgia Tech. Seven, North Texas. Eight, Army. Nine, Fresno State. Ten, USF. Yeah. I don't know how that worked out. Wisconsin sitting at nine and three. It's sitting at number two because every other team there is <laughs> half the teams aren't even in power five conferences. Oh, uh, and I think I was in the big 10 at that point. No, I wasn't in the big 10, but I, what conference was I? Yeah. Oh, wait, was, was that the big 10 championship? I think that was the big 10 championship, me and Wisconsin. Cause I, I moved around quite a bit in conferences. I was basically doing what college football is doing now because I was winning everywhere. I went independent for a little bit. I was in the Pac-12, went to the Big Ten. So basically USC and UCLA, then went to the Big 12, then went back to the Big Ten, then went independent. I bounced around everywhere. But, yeah, top tens are weird, but the Desmond Howard one was a little little strange. A little strange. I don't know the context behind it. It could have been like – I don't know. I, I don't know the context. I didn't watch the clip. I just saw a screenshot of it. But that's all I've got for you today. Hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I'm sorry about that. We'll try to get better next time. Leave a rating down below. On why you think why we'll leave a rating on a five stars first off and leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. Make sure you subscribe though to the Apple Podcast and Spotify account if you're not already. Leave a rating again. Make sure you're following every other form of social media as well. And I will see you all later. Peace.